2: I'm Michael Keegan, your host and editor of the Business of Government magazine. Public health surveillance guides efforts to detect and monitor disease and injuries, assess the impact of interventions, and assist in the management of and recovery from large scale public health incidents. The public are dependent on high quality, timely, and actionable public health surveillance data. The future of public health surveillance depends on developing new analytical approaches to adapt to changing health data sources, enhanced information technology capacity, and increased concerns about the sensitivity of patient data revealed in unintentional data release. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, recognizes and is committed to the call for innovative solutions. It seeks to make essential surveillance systems more adaptable to the rapidly changing technology landscape more versatile in meeting demands for expanding knowledge about evolving threats to health, and more able to meet the demands for timely population and geographically specific surveillance information. What is public health surveillance? How do emerging health information technologies improve public health data? And how is CDC promoting the use of innovative solutions to surveillance challenges? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Brian Lee. Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Well, Brian, welcome
3: to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks. Nice to be here.
2: So, Brian, would you provide us with a brief overview of the history and mission of uh, CDC's Office of Public Health Scientific Services? How does it support CDC's overall mission?
3: Uh, The Office of Public Health Scientific Services, or what we call OFIS, O-P-H-H-S, lots of acronyms, was pretty recently formed in 2013. Its mission is to lead, promote, and facilitate science standards and policies, and to then reduce the burden to diseases both in the United States and globally. Part of that is we have multiple centers and programs across the agency, and we connect them together in a cross-cutting manner, where science standards can actually support that mission across multiple diseases, conditions, and all the aspects of public health, which is rather diverse. Uh, this includes cross-cutting infrastructure like public health informatics, which is what I focus on, as well as mission-oriented health IT that improves how CEC works with the data and information needed for public health decisions. It's led by Dr. Chesley Richards, who's my boss, a nice guy. Um, and we have a, a couple of different subcomponents that we can talk about a bit.
2: Yeah. Could you could you give us a sense of the scale and scope of the office and how it's organized?
3: Yeah. It, it's broken into two centers. Uh, CDC is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, not the center. And two of them are within OFIS. The the first is what we call the National Center for Health Statistics. um, And we also have the Center for Surveillance, Epidemiology, and Laboratory Services. The common theme across these centers is they both provide data uh, on a broad variety of conditions. That's infectious and non-communicable diseases. um, And it allows that data to be used by researchers, practitioners, and partners outside of CDC, as well as our public health programs within Uh, although that's the common unifying piece. The NCHS's mission is to provide statistical information that guides actions and policies to improve the health of the American people. Uh, It's considered the nation's principal health statistics agency and leads the way with accurate, relevant, and timely data. Uh, It also operates many population surveys, such as the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey and the vital record system, such as the National Death Index. It's led by Charlie Rothwell. And their second center, the Center for Surveillance, Epidemiology, and Laboratory Services' mission is um, is here. Actually, the center is here in Atlanta, uh, whereas NCHS is up in Hyattsville, mainly with offices um, around, the, around that area. C-Cells' mission is to modernize public health tracking systems, provide timely information to clinicians and public health partners, train a competent and sustainable public health workforce, strengthen the nation's clinical laboratory systems, and innovate to increase effectiveness and efficiency of CEC public health programs. Both of these centers uh, operate cross-cutting surveillance systems. Inside C-cells, it runs large systems such as the National Syndromic Surveillance Program that collects data from the electronic health record systems from our country's hospitals, and is also the home of the Epidemic Intelligence Service Fellowship that trains disease detectives on the front lines of public health, protecting Americans and the global community. And that center is led by Dr. Michael Yotamarco.
2: So, uh, Brian, I'd like to focus more on your specific responsibilities as the chief public health informatics officer. Uh, What are your duties and what areas are under your purview?
3: Sure. Uh, So I serve um, the director of office, and my primary function or what I try to do most every day is to connect informatics and mission-oriented health IT into the overall surveillance strategy of our office and CDC. So part of that is uh, it's more of an influencer over an operational authority role. So that means I, it's uh, attracting different ideas and connecting the dots for different programs that can now uh, work together to use a particular new technology or new approach uh, where they couldn't independently. So informatics itself is a relatively new com- new field when you compare that to epidemiology or other parts of public health. And that means that it's largely working with partners To find out or identify opportunities where technology or that portion of informatics can lead to better data. So, better data in the right format, better data at the right time, better data in the right hand sooner, uh, and all that leads to improved decision making. Um, And as an advisor of informatics, I work with uh, a ton of really talented people across the agency and across public health and focus on topics such as harmonizing data, how to interoperate across systems, open data. Uh, shared services and APIs, and then also training and advocacy for how we use these new emerging uh, trends like cloud computing, uh, DevOps, and mHealth.
2: So, you know, regarding your responsibilities and duties, what are, say, your three top challenges that you face in your position? And more importantly, how have you sought to address those challenges?
3: So it's always hard to pick out three. Uh, So there's there's a whole set of challenges, and they change every day. So we have a lot of fires. But I'd say the the top three are trying to connect together the silos within public health IT, uh, community building, and then also trying to use better visualization and analytics. And the, the first piece, trying to connect those silos, uh, one of the things that we've really been working on to try to address that is uh, using the adoption of shared services. So CEC launched an initiative we call the Surveillance Data Platform Shared Services, and it, it tries to connect those silos together and have reusable infrastructure that can be used by multiple uh, disease conditions or multiple surveillance activities uh, across the So it's using that same service without having to build new systems over and over. The the community building aspect is really trying to connect uh, the informatics and IT workforce side of the house with the surveillance, epidemiology, and data management, the scientific workforce. So when we write code for a new service, It's done in what we call a user-centered way that puts out lots of little iterative changes over time and adjusts based on what the scientists need uh, to make our software more efficient and easier to build. Uh, We call that human-centered design, and it also includes training that's needed um, to help our workforce identify what those new technologies are and what we should be building um, that aligns back with our, our public health science side. Oh, and then the third, sorry, I left out the, the, the third piece. Uh, so visualization analytics is helping those scientists identify and use the right tools to create more meaningful visualization and help us work with data um, and share the findings of the data.
2: So, you know, along with your responsibilities and duties, um, uh, you know, and the challenges you've encountered, what has surprised you most since taking on your role at CDC?
3: Um. Uh, aside from just all the, the variety of challenges, the really interesting part of it, I think what surprised me most is the the appetite within um, the scientific community in public health to learn about new technology. So there's a lot of questions about what should we use, when do we use it, how do we use it, how do we use it securely, um, and that's really based on CEC's a data enterprise. So if you look at everything that we do, every leader has soaked in data or soaks in data as an epidemiologist, as a physician or in some role in public health practice or as a public health practitioner. So it was surprising that everyone I talked to has a data story or the story of the, the first computer they pulled together and bought so they could use it um, when they didn't need to, but they were just so interested in it and there was this thirst. Also, since the it's a new role at CDC, this is the first um, the first time you've had a, a public health informatics officer, and this enthusiasm has been really helpful in trying to connect with the different parts of CDC and our partners to figure out actually what the the challenges and opportunities are and have that matchmaking process to try to connect an idea to a problem. Um, And that enthusiasm has been really surprising in a positive way.
2: So, you know, mentioning the fact that it's a fairly new role within CDC, could you give us a sense of your career path? How did you begin your career and what brought you to this role? Sure. I think
3: every informatician you ask has a a different uh, career path. And so you, you usually get a pretty interesting story from them. I think mine mine is also unique, as, as many others are. Uh, I, I came to CDC from a, a background in programming and software development, um, which had nothing at all to do with public health until I stepped onto CDC grounds the first time, uh, just from sort of media encounters. When I went to college initially back in the 90s at the University of Florida, I was going to be a banker. So I thought I'd go in and study finance and derivatives and stuff. Uh, while I was there, I started playing uh, this card game, which... The only way to find cards was to go on the Internet, and this was the early 90s. So the Internet was, you know, 10 years old or so, but it certainly wasn't a household name. Uh, you had to go through many steps to get to it. So to, to find those cards and get on the Internet, I taught myself programming. some i studying finance classes, learning programming, and I'm like, wow, this is really neat. So I liked it so much that by 1997, I dropped out of, of UF uh, to start building these websites um, for a couple Internet startups. And so I started sort of the lowest rung of the ladder, doing tech support, answering phones, and then programmed more and more. Uh, and in a couple of years, I was working for startups as the CTO and doing sort of more complex more complex software development. I just loved programming uh, and solving those problems. And then came the 2000.com bust. So I went into consulting because uh, I had kids to feed. And uh, again, just building more and more complex software for finance, e-commerce, uh, utility management companies. And while I was doing that, I went to night school at Georgia State and got my degree. And then um, that's the pre-CDC life. So I ended up having a client at CDC and working in a consulting company. I was like, oh, my gosh, this mission is actually a lot more interesting than banking and utilities. We're delivering vaccines. We're finding diseases. We're getting better data. And that mission is really what made me join CDC. I joined in the R&D unit about five years ago and uh, had a lot of that technology software development experience and building stuff for almost 15 years. And so I went uh, back to school again and went to Emory to get my MPH and actually try to learn more about public health and combine that with uh, with my programming background.
2: That's great. So uh, given your um, diverse uh, career path and, and how you got here, what are the characteristics of an effective leader and what leadership principles guide your efforts? Sure. I,
3: I, I mentioned a lot about uh, it's Attracting people to ideas rather than having a regulatory or authority based role, and I think as an effective leader in many times it's trying to understand the pain points of different groups, especially in a diverse organization, and coming up with solutions that are attractive, and people choose to actually come together and work on those problems. Um, with that, I've found that individuals and groups and people have really fantastic ideas, so if you can focus on removing the obstacles. In many cases, as a leader, you can work on removing those boulders or rocks in the road that let people then actually test out their ideas and find the best one that actually fits their situation and plug it in.
2: What is public health surveillance? I will ask Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services at CDC, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
1: important social challenges cross agency boundaries and working effectively to solve these problems is not easy join host michael keegan next week for a special edition of the business of government hour as he explores how new zealand tackles these wicked challenges how have public management reforms evolved in new zealand what is the new zealand results program what can other governments learn from the new zealand experience that's next week on the business of government hour at 11 a.m on federal news radio 1500 a.m
2: The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services within CDC. So, Brian, would you define for us public health and public health informatics, and how do they seek to redefine our understanding of disease onset and health outcomes?
3: Sure. the The formal definition from O'Carroll's textbook is the the systematic application of information, information and computer science and technology to public health practice, research and learning. So that's what you'll see, sort of defined um, in literature and so forth. But I think that Chuck Friedman really has a simpler definition that I like to use, uh, which is basically the combination of technology and science is greater than just the scientist by by itself, and it, that means it's bringing the health field with technology in a field, it's bridging the health field, excuse me, with technology in a field that combines a lot of different skills together. So informatics isn't just uh, computer science, but it's also that mixture of information science, behavioral management sciences, communication systems analysis. And so it's that toolbox of methods that really improve how public health collects the data and works the data we need in order to understand disease onset and understand the health outcomes that we need, understand the effectiveness of interventions.
2: That's great. So you you mentioned this, uh, you alluded to this earlier, that CDC's overarching goal for federally federally supported surveillance activities is to get the right information into the right hands at the right time. So could you help us understand what is public health surveillance? Uh, What uh, would you tell us more about the CDC surveillance strategy? And what are some of the key objectives that make up the strategy?
3: Yeah, sure. So public health surveillance is the ongoing systematic collection, analysis, and interpretation of health and health-related data that we use in planning, implementation of, and evaluation of public health practice. So it's getting us the data we need to make decisions on the incidence and prevalence of disease uh, in in either the nation or uh, internationally or in the the area under um, interest that we're looking for. So this could be for a particular outbreak or condition that we're only doing it at uh, that time, or it could be ongoing, like recurring seasonal flu that happens every year, each year. And surveillance is really an integral part of public health practice. And the methods vary substantially based on what kind of condition or disease you're working with or you're trying to, to learn about. The surveillance strategy tries to connect together these different surveillance activities across our agency and so it, it tries to guide efforts to make essential surveillance systems more adaptable to how we use new technology uh, and to the changing technology landscape, more versatile in how we meet demands uh, for the expanding knowledge of evolving threats, um, and more able to meet the demands for timely and population-specific uh, or geographically-specific surveillance information. So trying to connect those uh, surveillance activities together um, and, and reusing the common components of them uh, that uh, are shared across different conditions, of diseases, uh, or subjects.
2: What are the four uh, initiatives underway to achieve the goals of the CDC surveillance strategy?
3: Sure. So the the surveillance strategy has actually launched four uh, co- four key initiatives to try to be more efficient with our use of data. Uh, the the first two are. Run primarily here in Atlanta. And one is called the National Syndromic Surveillance Program, which is collecting syndromic surveillance data from health health systems across the country to try to identify conditions. The second is called the National Notifiable Disease Surveillance System Modernization Initiative, which is, again, uh, modernizing standards to collect more information electronically in a more timely manner on the incidence of notifiable diseases uh, across all the different states and jurisdictions. We also have a program that's trying to increase the amount of electronic laboratory reporting data that's made available back to state and local health departments from the different labs that have uh, tests and results on conditions of interest to public health, uh, which go into reporting and notification. And the fourth one is actually led in the NCHS center I talked to earlier, which is modernizing mortality reporting and trying to take a statistical uh, reporting of vital statistics data and make that useful for surveillance purposes to understand um, understand how mortality changes can use more timely data to understand changes in mortality and have that not be a annual process or a longer process and have it actually take place in a more timely manner. Uh, moving to having the the death events or mortality events reported within 10 days of actual the, the event to the state epidemiologists who can be able to work with that data.
2: Mm So, Brian, as a follow-up, what are some of the challenges or barriers facing uh, public health surveillance systems? And how has CDC sought to address those
3: challenges? Sure. We find four key challenges uh, that we're trying to work with the, the surveillance strategy. The first is the proliferation of systems over time that have been developed for specific conditions. So you have the same problem being solved or the similar problem being solved by dedicated, uh, disconnected systems. The second is those systems working in silos aren't able to interoperate with each other. So they're not really connected in the way, and they're not sharing information or sharing uh, tools or sharing services or sharing software. Um, In many cases, they have uh, similar tools over and over being used. The third challenge is... The the slower adoption of new technologies and particularly how the the workforce within public health is able to use new technology, be it software, be it skills, be it approaches, be it analytical techniques, um, and have the right skills within um, within the public health workforce. And then finally, there are some emerging health IT policies um, that have been developed around adoption of electronic health record uh, within healthcare, and the the meaningful use drivers that are, are pushing that. And it's a real opportunity or challenge of how those EHR systems are interoperable with public health so that public health can actually have greater access to that data and information within healthcare um, that doesn't require dedicated systems to work with that data or work with the data that's appropriate for public health. And main part, it's the strategy has addressed that by trying to um, we I mentioned the four initiatives that are explicitly there. The strategy has sought to address those challenges. By trying to increase the rate of uh, innovation within the agency so we can evaluate those tools, be more engaged with uh, health policy, which isn't necessarily public health, but public health has to have a role or seat at the table uh, in the development of that policy, and then also trying to have better decision making um, decision making around what these surveillance challenges are, so having the the different programs or centers within CDC come together in what we call a surveillance leadership board. So we can actually look at surveillance challenges not from a disease-by-disease disease perspective, but actually from a, a surveillance perspective that lets us try to have common solutions or common approaches to what's um, a large set of different public health diseases under surveillance.
2: Yeah, and I'd like to dig a little deeper on the surveillance leadership board. How how is it optimizing uh, CDC investments in surveillance systems infrastructure?
3: Sure. So the the board brings together the the different leaders of CDC centers, institutes, and offices. Uh, The goal of them coming together is strategically make decisions about how we improve or change surveillance. And that specifically means assuring coordination amongst the partners um, that CDC has, and providing transparency in decision-making, harmonizing our efforts to work with health information technology standards development organizations, and work towards streamlining requests that come in for public health reporting functionality in uh, from commercial electronic health record systems and health IT systems. It also monitors the progress of the implementation of these new systems. So how are we doing uh, across the agency? And it facilitates uses of best practices and new practices. And then finally, ensures the agency is making progress toward achieving its broad strategic goals. So how do we measure that? Uh, Recently, the board worked to identify what are actually the shared services that are the highest priority. Uh, across CDC, and which ones can be reused the most by diverse programs. So, this let CDC actually kick off our IT modernization initiative that we just started to con- uh, build and construct and plug in those shared services. So,
2: Brian, what is being done uh, to improve training of surveillance uh, practitioners on uh, new data sources, new technologies used by clinical uh, healthcare providers, and new commercial, governmental, or open source system products?
3: Sure. There's there's really a constant stream of new analysis and visualization tools or ABR tools uh, that lets us more quickly look at and work with the data and share that data with partners uh, for improved decision-making. So that means a lot of training, a lot of workforce training. Some are actually formal fellowship programs. So CEC has a public health informatics fellowship program we run that brings in as a two-year program to actually train those skills. But many are community-driven, uh, communities of practice, such as the the CDC Health Information Innovation Consortium. There are a variety of local data meetups uh, that partner with nearby universities like Georgia Tech and Emory University. And so it's a mixture of both formal and informal uh, training and uh, workforce development programs. So uh, could you tell us
2: about the consortium, the CDC Health Information Innovation Consortium? Uh, How does it seek to uh, bring attention uh, to uh, innovative IT projects that advance Uh, in a CDC's surveillance strategy, and what are your key research priorities?
3: Sure. The the mission of the consortium is to connect together the different innovators within CDC um, with resources so they can explore technology solutions to surveillance challenges. So it's taking these innovators within, uh, partnering with uh, academic groups, with uh, commercial health IT developers, with open source communities, and trying to rapidly turn around tests of these new technologies uh, or new approaches. So try figure out which ones are right, uh, which ones are most applicable. So each year, we sponsor a small set of projects from across CDC, not just within our office, within our centers. And we host a quarterly forum where the, the results of those projects are shared by validated learning or lessons learned So that what one project accomplishes or doesn't accomplish can actually be reused quickly by other uh, disease programs or other areas within CDC. So we can build from the results of that project rather than starting fresh. We've set up about 16 projects, uh, over 50 project ideas that have been identified over the three years it's run. And we've shared the results with over 1,000 participants through those forums. And because transparency is important for how that collaboration connects together different uh, innovators and the users of this technology, the forums are open to the public, so state and local public health can participate, along with academia, researchers, and health IT developers.
2: Do you have uh, the core research priority areas?
3: The, the priorities for the Innovation Consortium are actually uh, based on the surveillance challenges or the surveillance priorities uh, that vary from year to year. In many cases, it addresses some of the previous topics we talked about, such as data visualization tools data transformation tools. A lot of mobile and data collection uh, research priorities have been focused on and um, trying to collect data more rapidly with the the rise of mobile health devices such as smartphones and tablets. And then also some of the novel hardware. So that could be um, optical character recognition, trying to automatically read the details when you're uh, conducting a health survey. So you're you're scanning in people's um, nutrition information, nutrition supplement information automatically rather than relying on people to manually enter data. Uh, but it's a it's a large set of more software-based projects or data-based projects with a little bit of hardware mixed in.
2: Yeah. I, I'd like for you to uh, highlight some of the core innovations uh, that Uh, have been presented over the last couple of years at the consortium. And and more importantly, have you moved forward with any of these innovations? And uh, perhaps you can tell us whether or not they've had any impact in advancing public health outcomes.
3: Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, So we've been able to rapidly look at some new standards. Uh, One of them is called the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources uh, for how they can be used within public health. So the the results of that are now being used by multiple programs than CEC to use a more API-based or application programming interface-based approach to health data exchange. Um, so we've worked on projects that help programs release more open data faster, uh, such as the, the National Antimicrobial Resistance, uh, what they call NARMS Now Human Data Project that release their antimicrobial resistance data through the web using some open-source visualization tools to let people across the country look at the resistance of bacterium, such as Shigella and Salmonella, over the past 15 years. So it's been written up in Time, Discovery.com, Tech Insider, and a few other places. And it shows how we can now more rapidly release that information, um, which previously you had to to, um, wait for it to come out and wait for it to release. It's so more timely the, our portfolio also supported the Division of Vectorborne Diseases develop an app called Kadinga. Uh It's an mHealth app that helps border states like Arizona and Texas respond to Zika better. It was developed in partnership with the Skoll Global Threats Fund uh, and the University of Arizona, and it explores a new area of what we call participatory surveillance where people who think they have symptoms of a, of a disease like Zika can be connected to local public health and even educate themselves about Zika prevention and other diseases. So there's over and over a lot of examples of smart teams within CDC testing out new approaches and then kick-starting them into greater use within larger systems. So it's one group testing something out. If it works, you'll, we've seen other programs use the same techniques, in some cases the same software, over and over again.
2: How do emerging health technologies improve public health data? I will ask Brian Lee. Chief Public Informatics Officer at the Office of Public Health Scientific Services within CDC when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Brian Lee, chief public health informatics officer within the office of public health scientific services within cdc so uh, you know brian emerging health information technology or, uh, improvements offer tremendous potential to improve the timeliness quality quantity and efficiency of public health data which you've which you've highlighted in our discussion uh, so uh, i was wondering what is being done to improve Health information technology policy engagement and awareness across the federal enterprise, and more importantly, what are you doing in the area of health information technology as relates to public health informatics?
3: Sure. So we're working to to leverage developments in EHR systems and uh, the push for interoperability that allows public health to tap into data from healthcare uh, automatically. And use those, uh, use the same standards the health care. So it's not using custom one officer for public health. It's able to use the same standard that healthcare is developing to exchange it among themselves. And now there's a way to intelligently route that to public health and answer the questions we have. And one of the the primary ways we've done that is working with the Office for the National Coordinators, Health IT Policy and Standards Committees, to find those interoperability points uh, that public health can tap into.
2: So, what are you doing uh, uh, to systematically engage health information technology and electronic health record vendors regarding informatics technologies and tools uh, that uh, that can advance surveillance systems and, and practices?
3: So, one large initiative sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is called the Digital Bridge Initiative. So, it brings together health IT developers such as EHR vendors, large health systems, and also public health to exchange data, identify standards, identify the data of interest, uh, and have that be shared across public health and healthcare. So it's not um, hundreds of small decisions, it's agreeing on what the right data elements are that can be exchanged. Uh, one of the big initiatives that's, that's led here in our C cell center by uh, Dr. Bill McKenzie is the electronic initial case reporting. What that does is allows healthcare to automatically send the initial data on reportable diseases from healthcare to the right state and local health jurisdiction, that then begins an investigation on reportable disease, um, to help states more rapidly respond to um, to diseases within their jurisdiction
2: yeah you know one of the things in prepping for our conversation it became clear to me that you're you are a truly passionate advocate for agile collaborative and uh, transparent informatics practices that uh, that really serve to closely integrate informatics with public health programs within uh within c d c and beyond how How do you do it
3: so a lot of this is driven on my past experience as a software developer where so much of the software worked on was open source, and that's just where you got the best software. Um, you get the best output and highest quality stuff. So there, there's a ton of people, there's many people working within public health that are trying to shift um, public health's culture, specifically CDC's culture, to a culture of innovation. So that's, in many cases, demonstrating and showing off how transparency speeds up how we adopt tools or how we use them better, how we write software, and helps us make great products by connecting us to the users that use them. Uh, for me, that involves a lot of communication. So it's communication across, um, across up, down, um, with many different roles within public health. It's a lot of training and workforce development, helping people find the right classes. Uh, how do you find the right MOOC, a uh, Massively Open Online Course. Um, and have that be appropriate for different skill levels or different career levels. It also means mixing in design principles, like when you're thinking of a new uh, a new set of software, you're thinking of a new service, you default to open, where when you start new projects, um, you really walk the walk by coding our systems in a secure open source way that helps other people learn by watching how we do it um, and see what's successful for them. It also makes uh, makes what we build easier to reuse and test, or just to check in and see how the progress is going. So you can sort of look into the fishbowl and see the code being written uh, over time. And probably most importantly, there's a lot of mentorship and peer networking. So that's um, you know connecting with people at various stages in informatics career or surveillance career, epidemiology career. And those are you know, experts as well as people wanting to learn Um, and then cycling through that over and over and and continuing um, those conversations and that communication.
2: Hmm. So, you know, Brian, what potentially disruptive innovations are you monitoring uh, that have uh, an impact on public health? And and more importantly, how do you connect and align informatics activities to the public health priorities of today?
3: Sure. So, of course, the ability to use new analytical methods is probably the most important uh, facet of 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 public health data analysis. But we have some new advances like bioinformatics and advanced molecular detection of disease um, that are helping us have higher data quality and more specificity. You look at cloud as a definite uh, disruptive innovation. Um, it's a maturing trend outside of uh, public health and industry that CDC is trying to use to reduce our cost, increase the timeliness, and improve the security of our data.
2: So, you know, earlier uh, we spoke about CDC's surveillance strategy, and, and now I'd like to get your perspective on biosurveillance systems in general. What is being done to strengthen these systems for enhanced situational awareness? And what are some of the current challenges for collecting biosurveillance information And more importantly, are there any tools available to improve situational awareness and encourage ongoing monitoring during uh, public health emergencies?
3: Sure. So one of those initiatives I mentioned um, that CEC runs, it's called the National Syndromic Surveillance Program. That its, its mission is to, to work to improve situational awareness and our responsiveness to hazardous events and disease outbreaks. That's led here um, by Dr. Paula Yoon in the Division of Health Informatics and Surveillance and her team. One of the, the challenges, the volume of, volume of data being shared by EHR to public health is vast. Uh, it's, it's truly big data. And in many cases, a lot of variability in the chief complaint uh, unstructured, semi-structured data. So one of the new te- new activities is standing up a community of practice that allows syndromic surveillance epidemiologists and practitioners to collaborate and test new syndrome definitions. So when something like MERS or Zika occurs, that community of practice can be used to try to identify uh, and, and extract from that syndromic surveillance data from EHR what actually is an event or is, a, is um, an element and what is not. And CDC's Biosense platform actually makes those tools available in a secure cloud that then more rapidly collects, lets us evaluate, share, and store that biosurveillance data in what is many cases a partnership with the jurisdictions where that data is being generated.
2: That's great. So what are you doing to foster the availability and innovative use of open health data to improve public health? And how do you balance accessibility and data security?
3: So CDC is, is uh, like much of federal government, is moving towards the use of common and familiar APIs, or application programming interfaces, for sharing our open data. Uh, in particular, we, we have a website, data.cdc.gov, that lets the public find and work with data in many different formats. So it's whatever format is easier for that researcher or easier for that app developer, um, those APIs allow them to interface with it and pull that down. Uh, Before any data is shared publicly, it has to meet a rigorous privacy and security review to make sure only appropriate information, uh, such as the weekly notifiable disease counts are shared. And of course, no protected health information is ever shared through open APIs uh, or goes into our open data sets.
2: What does the future hold for public health surveillance? I will ask Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer at the Office of Public Health Scientific Services within CDC. When our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour, this is the Center this week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness. Brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Managing Editor of the Business of Government Magazine. The Center this week is our opportunity to inform and, most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal level. Advances in biomedical research seek to enhance health and length of life and reduce the burdens of illness and disability. The National Institutes of Health, NIH, plays a significant role in making this happen. Dr. Francis Collins, director of NIH, notes, science is not a hundred-yard dash, It's a marathon, a marathon run by a relay team that includes researchers, patients, industry experts, lawmakers, and the public. Dr. Collins outlines how basic research prompted a revolution in the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of diseases, and what NIH is doing to advance
0: biomedical research. NIH spends about 53% of its budget on basic research, and that would be defined as research on some aspect of biological processes that does not have an immediate implication or application to a disease. But you have to understand how life works at the most fundamental level before you can really understand what disease is all about. So this is the foundation of everything we do. And over the course of many decades, uh, the basic science research, which has led to no less than 135 Nobel Prizes for NIH-funded grantees, is the way in which we've often then gotten to the next level of understanding about a biological process, and that in turn has led to insights about disease, which are now making big differences uh, clinically.
2: In the end, it's about turning discovery into action, which, though necessary, is quite risky. Here's Dr. Collins.
0: By having now made those basic discoveries, we're poised uh, to be able to translate that into action. There are a number of steps that you want to follow once you understand the molecular basis of a disease. They're complicated, they're failure prone, they're risky, but we know increasingly uh, how to do that. And that's a, a great example of how, at the present time, the basic science informs the translation. I should say, this is also a virtuous circle, that when you make a, an observation at the basic level that leads you to clinical insight, sometimes when you try this out clinically, you learn something about the basics as well, and you go around that virtuous cir- circle to your benefit uh, over and over again.
2: More information on this and other centered resources is available at businessofgovernment.org. There you will find how the business of government is not business as usual. For the IBM
1: Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. Important social challenges cross agency boundaries, and working effectively to solve these problems is not easy. Join host Michael Keegan next week for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour as he explores how New Zealand tackles these wicked challenges. How have public management reforms evolved in New Zealand? What is the New Zealand Results Program? What can other governments learn from the New Zealand experience? That's next week on the Business of Government Hour at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.
2: The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services within CDC. So, Brian, I, I talked to many of my guests about the use of collaboration and partnerships among agencies, within agencies with the private sector to achieve a mission results would you tell us how you are leveraging partnerships to improve operations or outcomes or to fulfill your mission? And to what extent do you believe um, collaboration and partnerships can drive innovation?
3: Sure. What's really cool and helpful for us is that most of the new technologies we use, almost all of them, uh, come from partner organizations or outside of public health. So it's, it's bringing information and bringing best practices from outside in. Uh, interoperability is really being driven by healthcare but public health benefits. So it benefits from this collaboration and partner relationships. An example of that is the is Fire, the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources. It was developed to share health information, clinical information. But CDC is using it, um, you know, specifically using the work of academic and commercial organizations to use those same standards uh, that made for healthcare so public health can actually share information. And it's an example of how public health couldn't develop it on our own, able to reuse those. Uh, another example is the Kadinga app that I mentioned was a partnership with Skoll and the University of Arizona. And, in fact, the, out of all those innovation projects, uh, there's tons of uh, projects and partners. About 27% of all the project ideas have an external collaborator, and that uh, collaborator could be a state or local partner.
2: You know, Brian, you're in a very technical, highly technical field. And, and so I was wondering, what's your strategy for explaining the critical importance of public health informatics and the underlying science to lay people. And to what extent do some of these new social networking technologies assist you in getting that important message out?
3: Yeah, so this is an important uh, its an important challenge and it's definitely critical because that's the, the, the root of all of this positivity is the relationships uh, with others and helping them understand how informatics uh, can help them do more. Uh, so sitting down with scientists and epidemiologists and data managers and just learning about what they do uh, and the challenges in their workflows and the problems that they have and the pain points is critical. You have um, you know tons of published re- literature which points to other work. and social media just makes sharing those lessons from literature or sharing potential solutions to those pain points easier. Um, so you can end up being able to tap into findings from your peers. More and more easily. And that's especially true since we have such distributed teams and collaborators. So, in many cases, although you'd love to sit down um, and have a coffee and chat with a data manager, they're on a different time, they're on the other side of the world, but they're in a different time zone. So, since we have those distributed teams, using things like social media or using uh, novel communication or collaboration tools um, appropriately helps us to share those approaches, helps us to uh, test out different approaches, and really helps us figure out what's worked by those different uh, individuals and what hasn't, and what we can change.
2: So, uh, to what extent is your program more of a marathon than a sprint? And, and you know, where I'm going with this question is how do you manage expectations?
3: Sure, I think it's it's constant updates and transparency. Uh, so, trust is developed by being uh, honest and open with your stakeholders. So, establishing those relationships. And then using some of those uh, – using there's a lot of informatics tools that then help you to uh, have those partners more engaged in your, your development process or have them uh, see what's happening throughout the process rather than just waiting for the cake to be baked and then seeing it come out of the oven. Um, that means engaging your users and working with them so they help you – write out the user story, which is what they want to do on an index card, or you're doing constant software demos so they see what happens at the end of each little sprint um, and not just waiting until the end to hope that it's right. And I think a combination of all those little demos and all those iterations and all those changes that keep getting shown to your, uh, your partners helps manage expectations because they see it in progress, and then also, I think more importantly, helps you adjust. So not only can, what happens when someone sees things in progress and gets those constant updates is they start refining what's actually important to them, and they start answering questions, and you start asking questions, and you can adjust. Um, I think there's it's not necessarily a secret; it truly is a marathon. Um, but when you're going through all those constant updates, it helps you to have a better relationship with, at the end of the day, whoever's going to be uh, working with you to use those. Cool new technologies or, or cool new services.
2: So, you know, looking into your uh, <laughs> your crystal ball uh, and transitioning more to the future, uh, would you give us a sense of some of the
3: key issues that you will,
2: you know, that will affect you over the next couple of years?
3: Sure. I think that one of the the things that's most exciting, uh, and of course, it's always hard to predict the future. But you, I see that shared services allow people who aren't technology experts to do so much more of what used to be required by having a team of experts. So if you think about how mapping services have changed over the past 10 years, where they let people embed simple geographic analysis in their work, when that used to require a whole set of servers and a whole team of people um, and really a lot of experts. So the same thing is happening when you, you see natural language processing and other analytical techniques that used to require uh, really massive uh, compute resources or massive teams. And now you can have someone download an, an open source tool that Google releases, and then use that within their work without under without having to have deep expertise in it. So you have the the future is full of non informaticians using informatics. And I think that's probably the most exciting thing um, is how we can keep up with with training these people who just naturally um, you know want to use the output of the service, but don't necessarily um, but don't necessarily build it or don't necessarily want to be an expert in what is built. They just want to plug it into to their analysis or plug it into their workflow
2: so so Brian, um you know we talked about the CDC health Information Innovation Consortium. What was the brainchild for that? Were you inspired from other uh, federal uh, efforts in this area?
3: I think part of it, there's been a really large push in the past 10 years to increase innovation within federal government. And within HHS, there's something called the Idea Lab, uh, which has had a few innovation challenges come up over the years. And CDC didn't have one uh, dedicated to informatics. Also within CDC, we had had um, innovation challenges around science. Uh, but not necessarily in technology. A lot of those scientific challenges involved new uh, epidemiological methods uh, or new test assays that were, were issued, but there wasn't someone focusing on innovation. My background in software was you know, working with venture capital to try to have these portfolio of investments and, and things like that. So it was a combination that when the surveillance strategy was being formed um, – it included this aspect of how do we have, how do we bring people together, and how do we have the value of multiple ideas being in a cohort rather than just trying to figure out what's best and then and then do that, which of course is extremely difficult, but really convenient if you can ever do it. And so the the brainchild was trying to take what HHS was doing, um, what overall GSA actually had some some movements for how do you have these innovation challenges. And we, just, we brought it into CDC and tried to identify what was most important for public health surveillance and informatics.
2: That's great. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing I was wondering, you mentioned earlier that, you know, CDC is the centers, so it's plural. And I was wondering, your role, and one of the reasons why I want to have you on is so interesting. So are there other folks doing what you do with the same title? And how do you collaborate with them?
3: So I think, uh, are they doing what I do? Yes. Do they have the same title? Not really. Uh, specifically, my role is new, but if you look within each center, you'll see associate directors for informatics, you'll see directors of information resources, and you'll see people, in many cases, the same philosophy of how do you have information in IT and how do you plug it into the the mission or the leadership of that center or that institute or that office. I think that because it's a new role, in many cases it's trying to find out what the actual uh, PD is or what the actual job description is. And you'll find a lot of variance across, um, across titles. But when you look at the, the mindset, in many cases, sort of the, the grit or the skills, each center has somebody who's trying to move informatics closer and connect in. There are chief public health informatics officers. Uh, across public health, so there's some at the state level. Uh, there are some organizations that have them. Uh, you're seeing more um, more healthcare organizations and population health will have chief health information officers or chief public population health information officers. But within the federal space, um, it's still a, it's a new and emerging role. I think I started my job about two years ago, um, and so we'll I think we'll see it mature more and have more people with with similar titles. But what's really positive is, and I think the important part, is you have people with the skill set and the the sort of earnest interest in the mission of how informatics is going to support public health.
2: You know, and, and the other thing that came up in, in, while we were talking is, you know, uh, public public health emergencies don't respect geographical borders. And I'm wondering, do you have colleagues in, in other uh, nation states around the globe who you maybe informally connect with uh, and discuss some trends that are going on in this area?
3: Um, and we do. And I think the, the same diversity in title that I just talked about within federal government is probably amplified when you go international. Um, so in a lot of cases, CDC has responses around the globe, and we're always collaborating with world health organizations and ministries of health and partners. I think that in many cases, you have um, you have associations like the American Medical Informatics Association, which actually purposely connects together people interested in this, and in many cases are international. Uh, that is almost always taking place over, you know, instant messenger, or over email, or over Skype. In the sense that it's not too frequently that we see each other in person, but we are trying to compare uh, best practices on information. So, evaluation techniques, what tools? In many cases, there are. Um, data collection platforms, data collection tools, which are used you know in many different configurations, be it in um, you know low resource countries or be it domestically, and that doesn't mean that they only fit in one or the other. And so the way that we test those out is through you know communicating and interfacing with them. Some of the, the small projects we've had actually started out as global health projects and then came back and forth. Um, and I think that's one of the neat things about informatics and software is that because it's digital, you can actually have that software be reused uh, pretty broadly. And that involves working with a lot of peers uh, and colleagues, you know, around the globe.
2: Um, So, Brian, what advice would you give uh, someone who's considering a career in public service?
3: So, I think what's great is there's really so many different ways to serve. Uh, so, So, personally, I, you know, went from the private sector to to government service because of CEC's mission of public health. Um, Government has been really coming up with novel ways to bring people from technology into civil service. Uh, If you look at things like Code for America, which tries to bring programmers into work with local government and state government, uh, HHS has a program called the Entrepreneur in Residence Program. Uh, that takes people from industry and brings them in to serve inside uh, the federal government for tours of service. CDC's uh, had really good success of that. We've had, sort of, we've had five people who wouldn't be traditional uh, civil servants, but they're coming in to actually tackle our really thorny, uh, crunchy problems. And that I think that there's a, a lot of different paths. So anyone interested, for the most part, should just find a couple individuals. So you can, you know, Specifically, use Google and LinkedIn to find people who seem interesting. And what's great is just asking—you know—to sit down and talk, or or have a, a mentoring session to learn about what they do. Um, just ask them you know, what they what their day-to-day activities are, and what their goals are, what their projects are. And from those conversations, you'll get a sense of these these big hairy challenges that are, I think, are unique to the federal mission. Um, especially to the to public health mission, and those big hairy challenges need people to to help solve them. Um, and I think that's the part that's most exciting about working for for CDC is we have a this unique mission that we can you know work with our partners to to move forward. And that's pretty hard to find, or at least I found it hard to find, um, you know, outside private sector. And so it's it's nice to have that mission that marries with my technology. Um, rather than just doing really cool technology for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Well,
2: uh, Brian, thanks for taking some time out of your day to talk to me. But more importantly, I want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country.
3: Well, thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate getting a chance to talk with you all. So uh, on May 2nd, we're going to have a a public webinar from the the Innovation Consortium. And we're going to be sharing the results from one of those projects I talked about. Um, that's trying to look at how we use these APIs to share health information uh, and look at some stroke data in a novel way. So you can dial in or connect in through your browser and uh, hopefully learn something cool.
2: Great. Thanks again, Brian. It was great. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Brian Lee, Chief Public Health Informatics Officer within the Office of Public Health Scientific Services at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful an in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.
1: This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Important social challenges cross agency boundaries, and working effectively to solve these problems is not easy. Join host Michael Keegan next week for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour as he explores how New Zealand tackles these wicked challenges. How have public management reforms evolved in New Zealand? What is the New Zealand Results Program? What can other governments learn from the New Zealand experience? That's next week on the Business of Government Hour at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.